All right. Okay, I mentioned just a little bit ago that uh, <clears throat> we're entering a passage here that there's, there's a lot there, and I'm actually, Lord willing, we'll get through uh, a greater part of John chapter 7 this morning. There's a wonderful application here for us uh, that we need to hear. And so I, I do pray that you would just really follow along this morning. I, I hope that nobody is here out of habit and out of ritual. And even if uh, you got up and you said, well, here we go again, um, I, I do uh, hope this morning that uh, you would get that thinking out of your mind and just say, okay, Lord, just speak to me this morning, because uh, there's a lot here that we need to hear and we need to hear from God about. So here we are in John chapter 7, and uh, <clears throat> it's kind of an interesting topic and when it comes up and, the, and, the, and how it comes up and and what it's uh, corresponding with. But does anybody here like to go camping? Maybe say, maybe in days gone by, I like to go camping. Andrew likes camping. And uh, do you go out in the backyard now and camp? Do you ever get to do that? Really? Nice. Yeah. You know, there are some things about camping that people find fulfilling. Now, my wife, her her idea of camping is Marriott. <laughs> That's that's roughing it, yeah. And uh, so there's some things about camping that people find fulfilling. They, they some people enjoy a great time in the outdoors. They like being out in nature. They not, they like the 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 fresh air and the the sounds and the smells. And especially if you spend most of your time in the, a city, the people like to get out of the city and go. Oh, this is nice. It's quiet. Now, some people, this, the quiet makes them nervous. Our niece that was here, she didn't like the outdoors. She goes, animals scare me. I said, you grew up in Philly. Guns don't scare you? No, that doesn't scare me at all. <laughs> animals scare me. I said, I'd be, I'd be uh, probably uh, little, feel a little better facing an animal than I would somebody with a gun in the middle of a city. But uh, some people like the nature. They like to get out into the nature. They like roughing it. They like getting away from all of the creature comforts that we have and just getting down to the simple things of life and just being out under the stars. And they like that, that activity of gathering wood and building a fire and maybe you're fishing or maybe you're hunting and uh, you bring the kill back and you put it on the fire and you eat it for supper and you realize that was horrendous and you get out all the packaged food you brought with you and you fix that. But you had to, you know, you tried it. We had frog legs one night, me and a bunch of boys, this was a long time ago, I took a bunch of boys camping, and one of the kids, pure redneck, grew up north of Jenkins, if you know where that is, out in the middle of nowhere, he said he was from Leanne, suburb of Jenkins, he called it, and there's nothing out there, just Flat Creek, and we're at this old quarry that some cousins of mine, they have about... I don't know, about 4,000 acres there south, south of Z Highway, and down off, way off and back on their place is an old quarry where they got the rock to make 39 Highway, that P-Stone. And it's a beautiful lake now, and it's a street, fed out of a creek and a cave, and, and supposedly you can get in that cave and go all the way to McDowell. If I'm, I'm throwing out names, nobody knows where they're at. And uh, Well, he, yeah, yeah, Rodine, you know where all that is. It's a beautiful area. This kid come up from the pond, it was dark, and he says, he says it this way, Got supper, boys. <laughs> I went, what? I didn't know what he was talking about. He's holding two big toads. He got out of the pond. 
And there's this old table, there's a makeshift table that was a spool for a highline wire, you know, those big wooden spools. And it was a table. And all of a sudden he goes, anesthesia. And I was like, what? And whop, whop, he took the toads by the, and he knocked them out on that table. He just whacked them on the table. And we proceeded to cut their legs off. This isn't in my notes. It's just exciting. I was thinking about camping. So he cuts their legs off and we peeled the skin back off. And the next morning we threw the frog legs into our eggs. So we had eggs and legs. <laughs> I just thought of that. That that could be a menu item. Eggs and legs. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you something, friend. That was drier than cracker juice. We had no grease in there. Those legs are dry. And uh, we, we got it down. It was pretty good. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Some people like that. The fire, the wild catch. They like camping, and some of, some of, I mean, we used to do this a lot. We didn't bring tents. We just laid out under the stars, and what's the, Andrew's not allowed to say that word. Don't say that. We'd lay out under the stars, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, the only thing that would wake you up maybe was maybe a coyote licking your toes. No, never had that happen. But some people like that in camping, right? Some people find this fulfilling. Usually guys find it a little more fulfilling than women do. Now remember, men, we were created outside of the garden, and then God put us in the garden after. Go look at that. We were made. God made foreign man, and then he put him in the garden. We like the wild. It's good. So some people find it fulfilling. But I think one of the most fulfilling things about camping is that it's temporary. Isn't that right? It's temporary. You know, at the end, at the end of camping, you know that there's probably, especially if you're married, a shower at the house waiting for you. You're going to take a shower. If you've been camping, you know at the end of the trip is your bed. Oh yeah, you can be tough for about two or three days, but you're looking for the bed eventually. At the end of a camping is a house, is all of the creature comforts that you've come to like. At the end of it is a nice meal that you can come away from not smelling like a fire. You know? It's weird when you leave supper and you smell like a campfire. Yeah, on a Sunday morning, that's just not right. <laughs> so I think, again, one of the greatest aspects of camping is that one day, it's going to come to an end. It's going to be finished up, and life will return to normal again. Camping, for most of us, is temporary. It's temporary. And so is life. Let me say it again. So is life. Life is temporary. And just like camping, it's going to end one day as well. But the thing that makes camping more enjoyable is actually the same thing that makes life more enjoyable. And that is what you have to look forward to at the end of the trip. That can make it more enjoyable. So this morning I want to look in John chapter 7. I'd like to look at a, 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 this is my title, A Permanent Promise in Temporary Tense. And we're going to look at this in John chapter 7, so stay with me. It'll all make sense here, hopefully, Lord willing, 
at the end. So Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 1, Jesus had been staying around the areas of Galilee. Remember he was up in Jerusalem. The last time he was up there he healed the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda and and it made all of the religious crowd mad and they wanted to kill him. Now when I say religious crowd, I mean the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the rabbis, the lawyers, the scribes, the religious people that that they, they got a little irritated because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath and then he claimed to be God. So they wanted him dead. So you know what? If you have to live a little bit longer so your purpose in life can be fulfilled, you probably don't take up residence around the people that want you dead. So Jesus headed up north. He headed out of Jerusalem. He went back into the areas of Galilee, stayed up around Capernaum, beautiful area, Tiberias, all of that area right on the Sea of Galilee. And he was hanging out there for a while. And in our text we see it is now coming to the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. What was the Feast of Tabernacles? It was a big camping trip. For the Israelites. It was a camp. It, it was a feast. It was a festival that began on the 15th day of the seventh month. Now, if you remember, remember when Israel came out of Egypt? I'm, I'm really praying about going into Exodus after we're done in Genesis. Wonderful time. Wonderful lessons in the wilderness that we call our life that are represented in the time of, of Israel and the time of faith. But listen, they came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt on the, the Bible says on the fourth month, which would be April. And God says the fourth month is now your first month. They got their own calendar. It started over. Listen, life starts over after the blood of Christ. It starts all new. And they came out under the, out of that. That is a good place to agree with. Let me tell you. Listen, when you are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it all starts over again. It's all new. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I hope you're awake this morning. But listen, they came out of there. They came under the blood out of Egypt. There, the fourth month became the first month. So April became January, just month one. So this festival is the 15th day of the seventh month, which is now our October, November. Okay, so 15th of the, of the month. It is going to last for seven days, the Feast of Tabernacles. On the first day is going to be a Sabbath. No work. See, there's more Sabbaths in the Bible than just Saturday. That's why these people who get the resurrection, the crucifixion of Jesus wrong, they assume when it talks about the, a Sabbath day, or they're talking about Saturday. Not true. There was another Sabbath day that, that was going on that day. He was crucified on a Wednesday, not, a Saturday, not on a Friday. Oh, don't get me in that. Okay, listen. Seventh day of the month, 15th day of the seventh month. It began on the first day. Day number one was a Sabbath. Day number two through six, they're living out in tents. It's a festival. It's a time of joy. It's a good festival. Intense, yes. And then on day seven is another Sabbath day. It's a higher day. It's a, it's a great day. And so from day one, it builds all the way up to day seven. And day seven is a huge big day on the day of, uh, seventh day of the day of tabernacles. So this was given to Moses. You can go back this afternoon, look it up in Leviticus chapter 23. And the Israelites were to go out into the wilderness and they were to make booths, the Bible says. B-O-O-T-H, like a phone booth, but not really a phone booth, just a booth. They were to take branches from five different 
specific trees. Go back and look that up today. Five different specific trees to make their booths, their tents that they're supposed to live in during this, this week-long camping trip. And they were, and, and, and this was all a picture. It was all a picture of their wilderness life. They're dwelling out in the wilderness. It's temporary. It was a picture of their temporary condition. It was a picture that their time in the wilderness was really, listen to this, a means to an end. What do you mean a means to an end? Remember the two spies, Joshua and Caleb? Remember the ten other spies? Remember? Ten were bad and two were good. Remember that song? Ten were bad and two were good. What happened to the ten spies? They came back and said, oh, the giant's great, the land of milk and honey. It's a wonderful land, but the, giant, the land's great, but the giants are big. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, ah, hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? Well, we can whip those giants. It's nothing. But remember, all of Israel, they what? They went with the ten spies. The ones that, that had no faith. And God said, you know what? From 20 years old and up, you will not enter into the land. You're going to die in the wilderness. So now this 40 years of wilderness wanderings became a means to an end. What had to happen? The old generation that refused to believe God and refused to go in, you're going to die off. And we're going to take 40 years to build up this young generation, 20 years old and upward, to come into what God has promised them. Do you know this happens in churches too? Yeah. Sometimes older generations, they will not take God by faith and go in where God has them. And God says, that's fine, we'll wait till you die out and we'll let the young people come in. Yeah, you don't want to be a... Listen, you can still be a Joshua and Caleb and come in with the young folks. It's okay. (laughs) Keep believing God. Absolutely. So this was a temporary time. It was a means to an end. The young people had to be raised up and be ready to fight to go into Canaan. And the old people, the unbelievers... Listen, the weeds in the, among the, among the, among, among the flowers, the, 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 the chaff among the wheat, they had to be cleaned out and got out so the, so those that had faith could go in. And so, but the end of their temporary life, the end of this temporary place in the wilderness was the, at the end of it all, their temporary existence, the end of it all was a promised land of Canaan that was promised to Abraham and his seed. And so this is what's going on in the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a picture of a temporary life, which is a means to an end, with a definite promised end coming at the end of it all. A a promise, an actual location. So the feast came at the end, watch this, it came at the end of the fall harvest. Okay? And it caused Israel to turn to God. It caused Israel in the wilderness to turn to God in a wilderness location, a time of waiting, a time of uncertainty, a time of not knowing what God was going to do, a time of total faith and trust. It caused them to turn in this wilderness to turn to God with thanksgiving in the midst of a wilderness and a thanksgiving for His promises and for His provisions and for His blessings. This is with the illustration of the Feast of Tabernacles. So on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it builds up day one through six. It builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And it comes up to day number seven where the people would pray for rain for the coming harvest. They would thank God for His provisions and for His protection. And then they would pray for the future year. And beginning way back in ancient times, they don't really know when this started, another aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles came about. And the priest... 
began this tradition that they would go down and to get a pot of water. And on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they'd take this great pot of water and they'd come up into the temple and they'd pour that water out over the, over the, over the altar and they would pray and ask God for His blessing and for rain. This was, a part of, this was the Feast of Tabernacles. Seven days, two Sabbaths. It's a joyous festival. Uh, it pictured Israel's temporary condition. It, it pictured a difficult condition, but it also pictured God's protection, His provision, His power. It was a perpetual feast. It was supposed, they were supposed to uh, keep this feast as long as they ex- existed in the land. And they're still doing it today. They're still keeping the Feast of Tabernacles today. It's a big time. And so, here in John chapter 7, this is what's going on. All of Israel is heading up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, here it is that Jesus' brothers, ask, essentially his half-brothers, ask if he's going up as well. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going up yet. But see, the reason Jesus' brothers wanted him to go up They said, well, hey, when you get up there, you can do miracles. You know, there's going to be, there, there, there would be almost two million people in Jerusalem during these festivals. You've been in Jerusalem. Not a real big place. No. Listen, if you want to sell your stuff, if you, if you want people to know who you are, that's a good place to go. There's a lot of people. (laughs) And this is the thinking of his brothers. Hey, and, and it could, and, and he wasn't going to go. They, they, it baffled them. They thought, and, and they even said, "Look at in verses three and four. They say this. They say, "Listen, if you want the world to know who you are, why do you do what you do in secret? Makes no sense." Well, you know why he's doing what he's doing in secret is because he's not a sideshow. Jesus is. Listen, they're 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 not coming to Jesus. They're not coming to Jesus just to just to see something, just to see a big show, and we'll get into that. A little bit later, but he says his time is not yet. He listen. Jesus is on on the planet for a very specific purpose and plan. There's a reason why he's here. Jesus did nothing haphazardly. There was nothing in his life in his existence that that just like he just winged it. And we'll just see what happens. Can I remind you that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ had been planned from the foundation of the world. And listen, nothing he did was on accident. And Jesus told his brothers, I go not up yet. What's yet mean? He goes, well, I'm going to go. I'm just not going right now. So he does eventually go up. His brothers go on up without him. And the Bible says he goes up later. And when he gets up to Jerusalem, he goes up there and he begins to teach in the temple right off. Goes straight for the temple. The Bible says, you can see in your text here, you can look down here. I've, I've got so ahead of myself, I forgot where I was at. <laughs> he went up in secret in verse 10. In verse 11, the Jews were looking for him at the feast. In verse 12, they're, they're debating among themselves who he was. Verse 13, they said, uh, no man spake openly for him because they were, they were they're at fear of the religious crowd, so they didn't want to talk too much. And so in verse 14, here it is in the midst of the feast, maybe day two or three, Jesus is in the temple and the Bible says he began to teach. 
And the Bible says this religious crowd, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, lawyers, scribes, rabbis, they're here in the temple, they're hearing Him teach, and they marvel, the Bible says. And in verse 15, they ask Jesus, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? How's this guy know this? He hasn't learned. Letters. What are letters? Now, we know what written letters are one to another. We're not talking letters of the alphabet. Oh, Jesus, how does this guy know his alphabet? That's not what they're talking about. <laughs> they're, talking about the law. they're talking about the Word of God. They're talking about doctrine. They're talking about Scripture. Okay? Now, they're saying, how, did, how does he know this? Well, you realize people in those days that might have taught in the temple that might have been considered a rabbi, had another rabbi who taught them. And that rabbi might have represented them, and that rabbi would have known his disciple, just like Paul studying under Gamaliel. Now, every rabbi here in the temple, every guy of this religious crowd, essentially is asking himself, who was this guy's rabbi? Nobody knows. Nobody's stepping up saying, oh yeah, I taught him. Well, if nobody taught this guy, and listen, these guys love the glory, they love the fame, they love the recognition, somebody would have stood up and said, oh yeah, I taught Jesus. Whoo, he really got it. I'm a pretty good teacher, aren't I? Nobody stood up, and they would have. So they're wondering, where does this guy learn this? I'll tell you where he learned it. He wrote it. <laughs> it's his word. That's where he learned it. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out what's going on here. But you know what else this action pro- their reaction proves? I kind of wrote this down. I noticed this. Their reaction proves they couldn't find any fault with what he was teaching. They didn't bring up error. They said, how do you know this? That's what they brought up. <laughs> do you think they would not have pointed out error? They've tried before. Every time they just walk away quietly. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to do it again. I love it. It's coming up. Stay tuned. So this is what I think they're saying. How do you know what you know? How do you know correct doctrine when nobody who was in the know of correct doctrine has taught you? And so in verse 16, Jesus is going to answer their question. He says, I'm not teaching my doctrine. That's why. I'm not teaching my doctrine. I'm teaching my, the doctrine of the one who sent me. So in verse 17, Jesus is going to give a test. In verse 18, Jesus is going to give an example. So he answers them, he gives them a test, and he's going to give them an example. It's kind of a strange test, actually, in verse 17. He says, if you're doing the will of God, here's a test for you, if you're doing the will of God, you'll know if what I am saying is of God. You know, that sounds kind of familiar when Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And another shepherd they will not follow. Because they don't, why? They don't know his voice. Yeah. So Jesus is telling these religious crowd here that those people who know my Father, those people who know God, who do the will of God, they, they, they know what I'm saying is of God. And there are believers here, folks. We're going to see this throughout chapter 17. There are those who believe on him and follow him. But he says, you're going to know if what I'm saying is of me or if what I'm saying is of God or if what I'm saying is of myself. And so in verse 18, Jesus gives them an example. And he says this, listen, if somebody is talking about themselves, he wants people to notice him. 
If all you hear somebody say is, I, 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 me, 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 I did this, I saw this, I did this, I went here, I did this, they just want you to notice them. No, there's a place for some of that, absolutely. But if that is all their conversation ever is, it's a big arrow over them going, watch me. And you know what happens when people constantly want people to watch them? Sometimes it's easy to embellish and lie. We have a tendency in our human nature to make ourselves better than we really are. How do you know the Bible is divine? Because no man writes about themselves what God has recorded about us. We don't do that. We make ourselves look a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah. So Jesus is saying here in verse verse 18 that people who are prone to want self-recognition They lie and they embellish. But if somebody wants you to notice the individual who sent them, if somebody wants to draw attention to somebody else, they're more likely to be telling the truth because they're not into building themselves up. This is what an an ambassador of the United States does. He doesn't represent himself. He goes and represents his own country. And if he is a great ambassador and a good ambassador, he doesn't go to other parts of the world and tear his own country down like our last president did. Anyway. How do I get there? That was a great illustration. Yeah. I don't know if you realize this, but this also answers why Jesus wasn't taking his brother's advice back in verse 4. During the busy feast, remember his brother, hey, go go do the miracles when there's two million people there. That'll get you noticed. It wasn't his purpose. Jesus wasn't, his purpose wasn't to be noticed. No, he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't some sideshow. He, he wasn't some sideshow to bring people into this miracle working phenom. You gotta come watch this guy. It's incredible what he does. He turned water into wine. He's raised people from the dead. He's healed people. You gotta come see this guy. That wasn't, that, 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 listen, that wasn't Jesus' purpose. The, the, the purpose of the miracles of Jesus was to bring people to Him who is God their Savior. That was the purpose of Jesus. And the purpose of the atoning work of Jesus Christ was to bring a lost world back into a right relationship with God. Did you know when you and I were born into this world, most of you know this, but we came into this world not right with God. We came into this world separated from God. We came into this world as sinners bound for hell. And the reason we have Jesus Christ is the atoning blood of Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to come back into a relationship with the one of whom we were severed from. That's the purpose of Jesus. He's not a sideshow. He's not looking for everybody to notice what he does. What he does is getting people to draw him in to who he is as God and Savior. So right here, Jesus shifts the conversation after after His example of of those who tell the truth when they're not focusing on themselves. He shifts the conversation. Jesus is so good at this, actually. He's so good. Remember the... (laughs) This makes me laugh every time. The woman at the well. (laughs) She's going on and on and on and on and Jesus goes, uh, go get your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you've rightly said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with isn't your husband. She goes, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) Good guess, woman, good guess. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, he just, he totally dropped that bomb on her in the middle of this conversation while she's trying to justify herself of why she should, why she is right with, with God because of her lineage. And Jesus says, well, go get your husband. Let's talk to him about it. What was he doing? He was, he drew her right to her condition as an individual that she's separated from God because of her sin, because of who she is. He kind of does the same thing right here in chapter seven. And it seems like he's doing this, but remember, Remember where their mind is. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to look at this. You can look ahead of me in verse 19. He, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. This was given by Moses. This was given by, by God through Moses. It was given during the time of the wilderness wanderings. Everybody right now in this time of Israel looks to Moses. Moses, Moses, the law of Moses. Everything's on Moses. And here during this feast, Jesus says in verse 19, didn't didn't Moses give you the law? This is what they're thinking of anyway. So Jesus goes to Moses. Didn't Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law? Ouch. No, they don't. They think they keep the law just fine. Look what he says. Why go you about to kill me? Moses didn't give you the law? Now think about Moses. Think of the similarities that Jesus has just pulled up between him and Moses. Think about this now. Moses didn't have anybody who taught him. He didn't have a rabbi. What did he do? He got, he got everything he got directly from God Himself. See any similarities of what they're accusing Jesus of? Look what he did. I mean, it's, it's masterful. Of course he's God. He's really good at this stuff. He brings up Moses. They don't argue about Moses, but they want to, but they want to kill Jesus for doing the same thing. They can't convince him that he's wrong in his doctrine. He's teaching everything right. They can't convince him that he's sinned. They can't find sin in him. But they want to kill him. And he says, you seek to kill me. In verse 29, verse 20, they go, man, you're nuts. Man, you got a devil. Who seeks to kill you? Oh, there's not smart. Look what he brings up in verse 21. They said, who seeks, who goes about to kill you? Verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I have done one work and ye all marvel. Well, what is he talking about one work? Hey, they're, they're still tweaked about him healing the guy in the temple. Oh, the, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, remember that? Like a few weeks ago, carrying the bed around on the Sabbath day. They wanted to kill him. They're still upset about this. They're still mad about it. Look, he says, verse 22, Moses therefore gave you, gave unto you circumcision, not because it's a Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. And so here, here, here he is. Jesus says, I've done one work and you all marvel. So since you brought it up, folks, riddle me this. <laughs> Moses, who got the law straight from God, made you get circumcised. And actually, it didn't even start with Moses. Remember? Abraham, before the law, all the way back to Abraham. And and I'm sure you you remember this. Jesus, I'm sure he's kind of insinuating this, I'm sure. I'm sure they remembered Abraham was before the law. So when, watch this. So when this pre-law law must be performed on the Sabbath day, you break the Sabbath to keep the law. He says, so you're breaking the law of Moses to keep a law, watch this, that was before Moses. 
pre-Moses. So it's okay to break the law of Moses to do right. Now, watch, you know, Abraham's pre-law. So if you're going to keep what God told Abraham to do, you're doing what is right. And if doing right overrides breaking the law, it's okay. Obviously, it's okay to break the law. You know what Jesus may have asked them? Can you please tell me what's wrong with healing a man? The law tells us to love our neighbor. The law tells us to love our neighbor. And how much more loving can it be than to heal our neighbor? (laughs) Right? And if we are loving our neighbor on the Sabbath day by healing him, how is this an act worthy of death? Oh, they don't like logic. Most people don't like logic. You know what he ends up saying in verse 24? He says, then judge righteous judgment. Judge righteous judgment. Hey, listen, side note, don't get caught off by people saying, oh, don't don't judge, don't judge, don't judge me. You know what that means? They know they're in sin. (laughs) Jesus didn't say not to judge. He said, judge righteous judgment. Judge away. We don't judge people. You point them to the Word of God and say, well, God said this. Well, okay, that's where it is. God said this. That's judging righteous judgment. He said, don't judge by looks alone. Don't judge by what you perceive. Judge according to righteousness. And what he's saying is, judge according to the Word of God. That's righteousness. It's good admonition for us today. Talk about the, the, remember, if your brother have a, have a, a speck in his eye, remove the, what, the moat out of your own eye. Get the telephone pole out of your eye before you deal with the splinter in your brother's eye. Do you know he never said not to deal with, the, with your brother? He said, deal with yourself first. Then you'll be, watch, then you'll be able to see clearly so you can deal with your brother. And you know what happens when you get the moat out of your own eye? I think it moves you. This is another subject. I better not get here too long. But what it, what, you know what it moves to? You all, when, when you deal with your own sin, you, you can deal with your brother in love. When you got a big beam in your eye, you can't see your own sin. You become really what they call judgmental, and you're not judging righteous judgment. Another subject. That was free. Yeah. Yep. So once again, Jesus leaves them speechless. Verse 24, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Verse 25, Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Yeah, what can they say? <laughs> Do the rulers know indeed, look at this, that this is the very Christ? The people knew it, but the religious didn't know it. The ones who should have known it didn't know it, and the ones who didn't or, or couldn't know did know. They saw it. So he leaves them speechless. So let me, let me recap this real quick and we'll finish up. It's, this is the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus was teaching in the temple. The religious crowd, remember, they're wondering where Jesus learned His doctrine. He tells them that His doctrine is from the one who sent them, and He brings up the law of Moses. Moses was a sent man. Moses did miracles. Moses didn't try to take any glory for himself. They accepted Moses, so your judgment of me isn't righteous judgment, Jesus was saying. He hadn't broken the law anywhere. 
And by their own silence, they proved that Jesus hadn't taught anything contrary to the Word of God. And so as Jesus continues to teach them, He tells them again in verse 28, Ye know me. Ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself. I haven't done what I've done totally hidden. You know my mother. You know my brothers. You know where I was born. Well, they didn't know where he was born. Kept thinking he was born in Galilee. We'll get to the end of chapter 7. It's amazing. It's like, couldn't anybody have just one time wondered and gone and asked where the guy was born at? And they kept saying, well, he wasn't born in Bethlehem. He wasn't born in Bethlehem. Yeah, he was. That would have been nice if somebody asked. says, I'm not come of myself. Notice this in the end of verse 28. He that sent me is true. I'll tell you that word true popped out at me. Why, why is that word, what does that word true mean? It's a Greek word, alathenos. Alathenos. It means this, that which is not, that which not only has the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. Alathenos. God chose that word on purpose. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the religious crowd, watch this, you speak of God. You speak of laws. But they're empty. They're empty. The one who sent me is the real nature that corresponds to the words and the laws that you're talking about. He's the Alathenos. All the Jews had at this time were types and pictures of God. They had traditions and they had laws, but they could not see God Himself. And Jesus is saying, the actual person behind all of the images and all of the traditions and all of the laws and all of the things that you that you live by, the actual individual that you're talking about is the one who sent me. And you, you know what He said? And you don't know Him. You don't even know who He is. Because you're stuck in pictures and types and, and, and laws and traditions. Yeah. And here they are right, in this, right smack in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles celebrating a festival that is a type and a picture of Jesus Christ Himself. And they can't see it. Yeah. <clears throat> you know why? They didn't want to see it. They didn't want, and the same is true today, folks. There are people that, who just don't want to believe. I don't care how, what you show them. I don't care what evidence they have. I don't care what proof you give them. I don't care what God does in their life. Listen, they don't want them. They don't want Christ. The Bible says they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They say, no thanks. I'll do it my own way. But he's going to try one more time. Here in chapter 7, he's going to, Jesus is going to try one more time. Verse 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, the last day. Remember the feast was building up to the last day? It comes up to this great climax here at the end of the festival. It's a time of joy. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of remembering God and His provisions out in the wilderness. And it's that last day. It's that last day when the priest would walk from the temple down to the Pool of Siloam. Did you go there, Barbara? Did you go to the Pool of Siloam? 
Did they take you there? Oh, wrong tour. Wrong tour. We'll have to try it again. We walk that street. We walk through Hezekiah's tunnels. And it comes out and comes down. You come through these long period of uh, tunnels that Hezekiah built during the siege. And it comes out and you'll come down to the Pool of Siloam there, hewn out of this rock and where the water would come in. And that priest would walk down from the Temple Mount. He'd walk those steps after steps down and down and down, walk to the Pool of Siloam, fill up that huge pot of water. And he'd carry that pot of water back up the steps back up to the temple mount, back up into the temple. And at the Jesus time, he would walk up into that temple. And as he came to that great altar, he'd pour that water out over the altar, praying and begging God for, uh, begging God for rain. Begging, what, what, what is he asking God? What, what do we do when we're asking for rain? We're asking for provisions. He's begging God for protection. He's begging God for a posterity. For generation after generation after generation. Hey, they're living in the middle of a desert. You get too far out of Jerusalem, and let me tell you, it's sand. Lots of sand. Lots of desert. And so by asking for rain, by pouring water out over, over that altar, they were asking God for life. 75% of our world is water. 70 to 75% of your body, of your blood, is water. And it was on this last day. It was on this great day. While the temple, you, you can see in verse, all the way over in verses uh, 39, while the, while the priest was coming up in one area, here he is, I can see it, he has this pot, and he's pouring, as he's pouring the water over the altar, and they're begging God for rain. Jesus is in the same temple teaching. He's in another part of the temple teaching, and he says this, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And here he is, while the water's being poured out, while it's being, while they're begging God for rain and begging God for protection and begging God for a posterity, Jesus Christ Himself was there right smack in the middle of their festival and they're saying it, He's saying, it's me. It's me. If you'd come to me, I am water. I am life. Drink of me and you'll never, never thirst again. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying during this Feast of Tabernacles, he's saying, I am your shelter in the wilderness. I am your provision in the desert. I am your protection. I am your provider. I am the water. I am life. That's what he's saying. It all pointed to Jesus Christ. The very, the very thing they had been doing for 3,000 years was pointing to Jesus Christ. The miracles, the preaching, the teaching. It was all about Him. It was all about Jesus. But many of them didn't want Him. They didn't want Him. Many did, but many did not. They Listen, they loved their sin. They loved their tradition. They, they loved the, the history and the heritage. They didn't want Jesus messing it up. what God is doing here with the Feast of Tabernacles was helping Israel to see that their time in the wilderness is temporary. It was coming to the end. And at the end of the wilderness, 
was God's promise. You know, there's an end to our wilderness as well. Yeah. His name is Jesus Christ, isn't it? Yeah. Christians, if you're a believer here this morning, there's two applications here in our passage. If you're saved here this morning, you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you remember the day that you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you came to God, you, you knew that you were lost, and you knew that you needed the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved today, and we're living in the wilderness. Yeah. And we're on our way to a place called heaven. This is temporary life, folks. Yeah. We've got two funerals next week. My Aunt Connie, not this Connie, my Aunt Connie. Aunt Connie's dad passed away. Then another relative passed away. Young, 46, 7, somewhere like that. My uh, stepdad, his daughter is, I don't even know if she's still alive today, if she's alive today, barely hanging on, going out of this life. No, we live in a wilderness and it's temporary. It's absolutely temporary. And our promise is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our promise at the end of this temporary existence is Jesus Himself. And it's and our, and our our promised place is heaven. In John fourteen one through three, Jesus Jesus said, "Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me." He said, "In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you." He said, "I would have told you." I'm sorry. If it were not so, if it were not so, I would have told you. He says, "And if I," he says, "I I I I, I go to prepare a place for you." And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That is the joy of heaven. It's Jesus. But on this journey, on this temporary life, this camping trip that we're on, living in a booth, we're reminded that life is temporary. That life is hard. That we have hardships and we face battles. We face things we wish we could we would never have to face. And we face them, don't we? <clears throat> but we're also reminded, as a child of God, that our hardship and our battles have a purpose. They're a means to an end. They're a means to an end. And that in spite of this temporary journey, we're under the protection and the provision and under the power of God, that this life is a means to an end. What is the end of our means? <laughs> the end of our means is Jesus Himself. Now watch this. When our eyes are fixed on the permanent fulfillment of God's promise, Jesus Christ, joy and peace and blessings, abound in the midst of trial and travail 
and temporary tents. This is just, we're not here long, folks. You know what I realize every time somebody dies? We're in a line. We're in a line at the door of death. And every time somebody drops off, we're just next in line. We're just clicking closer, clicking closer, clicking closer, clicking. We are. We're getting closer. Yeah. And some get pulled out of line before this fellow up here does. We're not here long, folks. We're not here very long. You know, when you get your eyes off of Jesus and you begin to focus on our temporary circumstances, we'll lose all joy and peace that we have in Christ. We'll lose it all. Great suffering has been lived by many of God's choicest servants. But they never got their eye off the goal. They never got their eyes off of Jesus. In the midst of great pain, their life was marked by joy. Looking unto Jesus, it says in Hebrews, the author and finisher of our faith. Maybe it's possible you've got your eyes off Christ lately. And the temporary condition of your wilderness wandering is just getting overwhelming. It's getting more than you want to bear. It's getting heavy. The toils of it the disappointments of it, the letdowns are are mounting up in your life. Can I tell you this morning, Christian, what you need to do is get your eyes off all of that and just look back to Jesus again. And you know what you'll find you'll have? Joy in the middle of a wilderness, camping in a temporary tent. Yeah, because you're camping with Him. (laughs) Isn't that great? I mean, think about it. Could you, could you imagine really going camping with Jesus? Like He's physically camping with you? Would you really be afraid of anything? Sleeping out under the stars, hearing the coyotes howling, you'd be like, oh, whatever, Jesus is here. That's cool. They're not going to bite Him. <laughs> See what He did the fig tree? <laughs> they don't stand a chance. Yeah. Boy, there's no water around here. Where are we going to get water? I don't know. Jesus is here. Who cares? See what he did, that rock? That was pretty cool, huh? Here it comes. Man, I'm hungry. We don't have, we forgot food. Yeah, geez, here. Get him a fish. You can pull fish out of you. You can get 150 fish out of that little net. We can eat till our heart's content. No, seriously, think about that. I know it's I know it sounds you know, you know, rather whimsical, but it's not. It's true. It's the God, listen, the God who spoke the universe into existence is, is your heavenly Father. If God before us, who can be against us? Yeah. Maybe you've got your eyes off Jesus lately and you need just to begin to focus on Him again. It's possible. Maybe you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever. You've never, listen, you've never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have come here this morning and you are thirsty. You ever been thirsty? You ever been borderline thirsty and you think, God, what do I need? And it's just just this, there's not an anxiety in you, but there's just something you know that you need something and you can't put your finger on what it is. You get a glass of water and you go, oh, that was it. I was thirsty. You may be here this morning and deep in the depths of your soul, there is a nagging sense that something is missing. Yeah. You've been thirsty for a long, your entire life. Your thirst mechanism, your spiritual thirst mechanism has been alive and well. 
and you know that something's been missing, but nothing has been able to fill it. You've tried relationships. You've tried the career path. You've tried in entertainment. You may have dabbled in the drugs and the alcohol and all of those things like that. You maybe even have tried religion, and you're here this morning. I don't know. But you just can't shake it. You're still thirsty. It's just nothing you've tried is done. You've di- you're disappointed one more time. And you're still looking. Can I tell you what you're missing this morning is Jesus himself. True. The one who is true. The Alethinos. The, the true person of God. You're missing him. You've never met him. You say, I believe in Jesus. I believe him. But if you still are not satisfied, you don't have him. Because he satisfies. Yeah. Believing and having are two different things, folks. Believing in and believing on are two different things. I can believe in a fireman, but a fireman, but once my house is burning and I realize I need him, I'm going to believe on him. And he's going to be involved in my life, hopefully putting a fire out. Yeah. So what about you this morning? Has Jesus really satisfied you? Is your th- Listen, are you still thirsty this morning? Looking for something to quench that longing that you have in your life. Listen, it's, it's, you don't have Jesus and you need to be saved this morning. Maybe Christian, you've taken your eyes off of Christ, that He is the promise, and taken your eyes off of Jesus and have been overwhelmed with this wilderness. You can have joy again, absolutely, if you'd look to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for the attention to Your Word. There's a lot here. And we thank You, the simplicity of where it points to, that Jesus alone satisfies. And I know what it's like in my own life when I get my eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and the weight of this wilderness becomes huge and, and, and I, I, I'm so uh, my eyes are set on the earthly and, and get off the heavenly. I get this worldly thinking in my mind that almost like this is it. This is what we're living for. Everything on this life is what it's all about and thankful for the reminder that it's not what it's all about. It's a temporary place that's leading us to the Lord Jesus Christ face to face one day. Thank you that we have that promise, O God, that where He is, there will be also. Lord, there may be a believer here this morning Lord, they've lost their joy. Their eyes have been on this temporary wilderness, and it's been hard. We'd never discount the hardness of life. We'd never minimize it. It is truly hard. But no matter how hard it is, Father, we know that we can have joy and peace in it if we just turn back to You. We pray You'd help us to do that this morning. And Father, we pray especially if there's somebody here this morning that has never met the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to be saved. They've never been born again. They've never repented and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray your Holy Spirit would draw them this morning and today, today they would come and get saved. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.